And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he, that's Jesus, asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung round his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, 
You lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Thanks, Claire. Um, you probably, after hearing that, feel a tiny bit of what I felt on Monday evening as I sat and read that myself, thinking, wow, that's really long. What am I going to say about that? Um, uh, but I hope, um, although long and seemingly sort of slightly unconnected, um, the passage starts and ends with this idea of the first being last and the last being first. Like those two ideas. Uh, bookend everything that we've just um, heard. And I think if you've got your Bible hat on, you kind of, you know that if, if, a, if, a, if a writer does that, he's trying to communicate that something in between those two things is a running like point or theme that he uh, wants to highlight. <laughs> and, and that was my, my job this week. Um, and I, I think that uh, what Mark is trying to communicate um, to us Uh, comes to us uh, from the mouth of the rich young man. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I think uh, that's sort of what's at stake in these verses. Um, How do we get into heaven? Uh, And and as we move through the passage, I think we're going to see that sort of answer filled out for us. Um, And in that way, how do we get into heaven? We're looking at what Jesus calls us to be. What does he call us to be like in order to inherit eternal life? Um, And we start off with the disciples uh, in chapter 9, verse 83, arguing, don't we, about about who's the greatest. Who's going to be the greatest? And I kind of think maybe each disciple is thinking, wow, if Jesus is the Messiah, like he says he is, you know, maybe I'm going to be like the new Moses or, or, or the new Elijah. Like, I'm, I'm going to be a big deal, aren't I? And, and, and you can see that sort of conversation going on. Like, they all think, oh, wow, we're the 12. We're going to be great. Um, the minds are just fixated uh, on that, it seems, on themselves uh, and what they're going to achieve. And Jesus comes right out and says, if anyone will be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. 
Humble service and putting ourselves last are the first things that Jesus is calling us to. Uh, and firstly, I think it, it's particularly talking about humility towards one another. See, as the disciples argue about who is the greatest, uh, they're focused on themselves, uh, and that, that hard-heartedness that you can see there, it causes division amongst them, doesn't it, as they argue. And in verse 37, Jesus is saying, you know, you've, you've got to serve one another. You need to be like children and, and receive one another as children. You need to be humble. And you need to serve one another. And that's ultimately how you serve God, isn't it? The one who sent Jesus. I think it's the, the point is here, you focus on ourselves, pride, and that develops into disunity. And you can, you can clearly see that here with the disciples' actions. And Jesus calls us to be the opposite, doesn't he? To be childlike, to be humble, to be serving one another, sacrificing for one another. And those things, they generate unity. I think being childlike uh, is, is a confusing thing, I think, to imagine. Uh, you, you probably, possibly, might know a child who you might not have the kindest things to say about. Um, you know, some children, perhaps all children, can at times be unpleasant. Uh, uh, and much like all of us. Um, so what is it that Jesus is trying to communicate to us? Well, I think uh, the child imagery is supposed to uh, make us think of a few things. I think, first of all, the, the, the children that Jesus is talking about throughout this passage, he, he comes on to children towards the end as well, uh, they're not like old children, they're young children. They're being carried around, they're unable to speak. They're not, um, yeah, they're not developed in any way. Uh, the type of children he's talking about here in these passages, that they can't feed themselves, they can't dress themselves, uh, they're needy. But on the flip side, they're not anxious, they're humble, they're unimportant. They're almost unaware of themselves in that sense. They don't have ideas of grandeur. They aren't proud. They are completely reliant on their parents and completely uh, content to be reliant on their parents. They just, they just perfectly trust their parents to take care of them, don't they? So the disciples, uh, they should receive one another with this kind of childlikeness. They should be humble towards one another uh, and other believers they don't know. Uh, just like the man they try and stop in verse 38. You see, Jesus is teaching them, you should be receiving this man as, humble, as a humble fellow child. You, you, should, be, you should be serving him. You, you, know, you should be giving him water because he is one of you. A Jesus-focused, humble, childlike servant should be seen in unity between believers. As we focus on our provider, our, our heavenly father, uh, and as we focus less on ourselves, the result should bring unity amongst us. Just in the same way as focusing on ourselves brings, brings a disunity that you see uh, in the disciples arguing. Be childlike. 
You know, I think the idea here is that we're picturing a baby uh, in its mother's arms, staring up at her, dependent, needy, weak, but content uh, and not anxious about anything. That is, that's us, isn't it? Looking, looking up at Jesus. And it's also us looking at one another. There's, there's nothing great to see here. Just humble children gathering together in unity under our Heavenly Father. That's, that's, that's what Jesus is, is calling us to be like. Is he proud, self-centered, seeking people? People who think they are great, they bring disunity, don't they? And we need to take that really seriously because uh, in verses 42 to 50, Jesus uh, really uh, lays it on. Uh, read what it says. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. It's a scary verse, isn't it? And I think uh, the implication is that the disciples' uh, prideful hearts are actually causing each other to sin. And in causing each other to sin, Jesus is like, oh, it's better if you drowned. And, and because of that, you need to be radical with sin in your life. You need to, to cut it out. And, and Jesus is, is, is using really dramatic language here uh, to create effect. You know, he doesn't mean actually we need to start cutting things off. But he does mean we should be really looking at our lives critically and, and going really out of our way to cut sin out. You know, if, if you're carrying on the, this childlike analogy, uh, uh, cutting off sin, it, it should be like stopping a child playing with something that they shouldn't be. Like, as a parent, how do you do that? Well, you just, you just take it away. You put it somewhere where they can't reach it, out of sight, out of mind. You cut it off. And that is exactly how I should be dealing with my sin. It, it should look radical. You know, maybe I, I, I struggle with things on the internet, with social media, or you know, just easy, unrestricted access to all sorts of things. It, it's, better, it's better I don't have a phone that connects to the internet, isn't it? Or, or, or it's better that I put really strict permissions on the things that I can access the internet with. It's better that I, I cut sin off. And I cut the, the means in which I can sin off. You know, are there places, things, or even, even people that, that you need to cut off because they're causing you to sin? You know, you've got to really consider what Jesus is saying here. And, and it should be a sacrifice. That's, that's the language used in verse 49. Read what it says. For everybody will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. I think some of the sacrifices in the temple, uh, they were, they were, before they were burnt, they were sprinkled with salt, which I think is, is what Jesus is trying to get the disciples to think about here. Our lives should be sacrificial and we should be at peace with one another. Uh, this like, connection between childlike humility and unity is, is here again. Proud people, uh, people who don't take their sin seriously, people who don't sacrifice, don't take radical action, 
the warning is severe here, isn't it? They go to hell. Jesus is calling us to be radical with our sin and cutting it off at all costs. Denmark uh, moves us on uh, to the Pharisees uh, questioning Jesus in chapter 10. Uh, read what it says in verse 2. And the Pharisees came up to him in order to test him and asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus replies to them in verse 5, uh, it is because of your hardness of heart that he wrote to you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Basically, in answer to, to the uh, Pharisees' question, about divorce, Jesus is saying, you know, divorce was, was never meant to happen. It, it exists because we have hard hearts. I guess it's obviously worth pointing out here that in this big, long passage that we're looking at, um, my aim as we move through it uh, and through this section on divorce is to show us how it connects to everything around it rather than go into like, a load of detail on exactly what the Bible has to say about divorce. But, but, you know, I do want to stress, divorce is, is difficult, upsetting, and it does uh, affect many of us. Uh, and, you know, if you've got questions about that, you can come and speak to me afterwards or speak to any of the elders. But I think the, the, the point here that uh, Mark is trying to see is, uh, Mark is trying to get us to see, is that, that marriage is something from the beginning of creation. As Jesus says, it's the first thing one of the first things that he gave, that God gave to Adam and Eve, a first fundamental thing, creates Eve, creates marriage, doesn't he? But because of our sin and our hard-heartedness, even that fundamental thing is broken. It's amazing, it's so broken that the leaders of the Jewish faith, they don't come to Jesus and say, Oh, Jesus, how do we keep marriage sacred? How do we honor it as something given to us from God? What do they ask Jesus? How do we get rid of it? How do we ignore it? How do we get round it? You know, how do we avoid it when it doesn't suit? And, and in that, you see the hardness of their hearts. Proud hearts cause disunity. Proud hearts cause disunity between believers Proud hearts cause disunity between a husband and a wife. Proud hearts cause uh, disunity between the disciples. And, and here, uh, proud hearts cause disunity uh, between Jesus himself and the Jewish leaders. Hard-heartedness is, is just not the marker of someone who, who inherits eternal life. And I think uh, Jesus here calls us to, to be the opposite, doesn't he? I guess to be, to be soft-hearted and to be keepers of God, God's law. We then come to Jesus' uh, disciples um, stopping children coming to him in chapter 10, verse 14, to which he responds, if you read, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The proud disciples were stopping children coming to Jesus. Proud hearts causing disunity. The kingdom of God is for, for humble, needy, and unimportant people. 
just like these children, Jesus says. Not for the proud, competent, great men that the disciples ironically thought they were. He calls us to be childlike again, to be needy, to be unimportant. And then we come to the rich young man in verse uh, 17. You know, he, he runs up to Jesus, doesn't he? He kneels at his feet. He looks humble. And he, and he asks the question that is, I think has been sort of echoing through this whole section. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and you can read what Jesus says in verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said, you lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He's not heaven-bound either, it appears. He seems humble, but Jesus asks if he's kept the law, which... You know, he kind of thinks he's done, but he clearly hasn't. And Jesus knows his heart. And ultimately, he knows that uh, this guy, he loves money more than he's going to love me. And when Jesus asks him to give it up and follow me, he just goes away sad, doesn't he? He doesn't have have a childlike dependence on Jesus for all he needs. He doesn't trust Jesus. Instead, he's trusting it. In himself, he's trusting in the money he's got, in the possessions he has. And I guess that's one of the last things Jesus calls us to be, is poor. If you look back at our passage this morning, Jesus is is teaching that to inherit eternal life, you need to be humble, you need to be childlike, dependent, a servant to those around you, sacrificial in the way that you live. You need to have a a zero-tolerance policy with sin, cutting it off at all costs. You need to be needy. You need to be unimportant. You need to be poor. You want to follow Jesus more than all your worldly possessions put together. And the the rich rich young man, he he wasn't those things, was he? But what a list. And, And Jesus knows he knows it, doesn't he? Look what he says in verse 24. Jesus said to them, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for, the camel, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus thinks the list um, that we have created throughout this section of Mark's gospel of what someone going to heaven looks like is, is difficult. Uh, so difficult, it is actually impossible. Have you ever been proud? Have you ever thought too much of yourself or your capabilities? Ever put yourself first instead of last? Ever caused division? Ever not loved a church member properly? Ever caused someone to sin through your own actions? <laughs> Have you ever been complacent about your sin? Have you ever engaged in, in sinful behavior instead of cutting out of your life? Have you ever actively broken God's law? Have you ever thought about divorcing your spouse? Are you divorced and remarried in a way that Jesus might deem as adultery? 
And to add to that, have you ever looked at someone, not your spouse, with lustful intent? Well, well, Jesus says, you know, that's adultery too. Are you helpless like a child looking to Jesus for all your needs? Or are you just so competent that you don't really rely on Jesus at all? You don't pray, you don't come to him regularly for help? Are you so reliant on your possessions that knowing and trusting Jesus just takes a, a back seat to your worldly pursuits? Is worldly position and status more important to you than your status before Jesus? I mean, the answer has got to be yes, right? Surely that covers us all. It certainly covers me. And if you see yourself in that list, like I do, heaven, heaven's not for us. I cannot get in. We too cannot inherit eternal life. And I think you get to this part in uh, the section that we're looking at and you've got to feel that emphasis. This passage is is a devastating list of hard-heartedness that pervades humanity. And at this point, Even the disciples realize that. You know, look at verse 26. What do they say? They were exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, then who can be saved? Who who on earth can be saved? These, These requirements are crazy. Who's getting into heaven? It's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It is impossible for anybody to get into heaven. None of us are childlike. We are not completely reliant on Jesus. I don't don't wake up every morning like a child longing to see him. I don't receive you like fellow children and love you with a humility that's described here. I'm I'm not servant-hearted, often not sacrificial, I, I don't want to openly admit to being, to being weak, to being poor or needy. I, I would prefer to give, uh, give you and, and give myself the impression that I am sorted, competent, and adult spiritually instead of the ugly truth I know inside. And I'm, and I'm sort of I'm undone by that. And I think this is... This is when Jesus gives us the good news, isn't it? In verse 27, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. I think it's interesting, if you just go back to verse 24 as well, and read that again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. You see here, Jesus calls his disciples children, But but his disciples display none of the childlike qualities he's just taken us through. In fact, Jesus has been teaching them that that they are the complete opposite of the childlikeness that he requires. Verse 15 describes their situation best. It's truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. They are not childlike. They are not entering heaven 
Yet, yet Jesus still calls them children in verse 24. And it's this. This is the wonder of the gospel, isn't it? You see, just before and just after this section in Mark that we've looked at this morning, Jesus predicts his, his death and resurrection. And he's teaching his disciples here uh, and teaching us that we cannot get into heaven, but that Jesus saves us. Jesus gives eternal life, doesn't he? Jesus does the impossible. Jesus adopts us as his children. Jesus lives a, a perfect Jesus lives perfectly and dies as a sacrifice for us on the cross. Jesus truly becomes the last for our sake and salvation. And if we trust him and we are adopted as children, as his children, and that's the offer that Jesus gives us all, and that, that's, the, that's the offer he wants you to know this morning. I guess particularly if you're here and you're not a Christian, that is what Jesus wants you to know. You want to get to heaven? You want eternal life? This is what it looks like. And Jesus is, is, is really kind, isn't he? It's not even that he just leaves us there. Read, read what he goes on to say in verse 29. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. We are, we're given each other, aren't we? See that we receive uh, brothers and sisters and mothers, children, land. We, we receive each other in order to help us keep going right now. Uh, and we gain so much in a church family. There's so much joy, encouragement, support, and love that should be here that we can see. There's so many times when I've been amazed personally uh, by the love that my family has shown me. It's not always perfect, but it is from God, isn't it? This is our family. It is here for our good and by God's design. And, you know, we're just going to need it. Trusting Jesus is, is difficult, and it's going to bring persecution in this life. So we have each other, and we should hold fast to that. But we also have the sure hope that despite our absolute inability to live truly like children uh, and be completely reliant on Jesus ourselves, he calls us children anyway. Not because of us, but because of his sacrifice for us. And I think that's the thing I really need to learn, isn't it? I just need to stop pretending that, that I'm, I'm coming here with something to offer. I cannot get into heaven. Not halfway, not 1% there. I need to recognize who I am 
and who I am in Jesus. I am a proud, hard-hearted, guilty of counter sins. I think I am competent, capable, and wise. But in Jesus, oh, I'm changed, aren't I? He does the impossible for me and the impossible in me. As we close, we need to think about what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, I need to be childlike. Uh, I need to be last. I need to recognize I'm poor, I'm needy, and I'm weak. I need to understand that there's actually nothing I need to do, though. Uh, Actually, there's, there's nothing I can do to inherit it. I just need to hold to Jesus, literally just like a baby, for everything. Because outside of him, I'm totally incapable. He controls everything, doesn't he? And I need to rest in him, knowing that he has me. I cannot save myself. I cannot get into heaven. But he has me in his arms. This is, this is how I gain eternal life. It's not even that I hold on to Jesus. He, he comes down and picks me up, the completely helpless me, unable to do anything. He picks me up into his arms. That is my only hope. And that is your only hope too. Let's pray. Lord, we long to be like children. We long to to trust you with a trust that never fails. But Lord, we know that's uh, impossible. Help us recognize our sin. Help us cut it it off. Lord, help us. uh, We are needy and weak. We have nothing. We bring nothing to our salvation. Keep us, Lord, we pray, in your arms. And in your arms, bring us into eternal life. In your name we pray. Amen.